Hey, hey, Podnuckians, welcome to DDG episode 223. This is Door to Door Geek here, trying to do Linux podcast for all sorts of users, the advanced users to the extreme noobs. Uh, we have combined, aka me, uh, I don't even know how long. It has to be at least 13 years in Linux. Uh, I've done everything in my power to not become a gray beard. Hope you're not watching the video right now. Um, while still remaining a normal user, being able to communicate with normal users. That's been my goal all along. Um, first thing I got to mention in this show is uh, we here at Podnuts have uh, lost what I consider to be a very good friend, a really good man, um, Eric Ardini. Uh, he's been on basically every Podnut show I can think of, except maybe this show, Linux for the rest of us. Uh, he's been on Android App Addicts. I, I, I honestly don't even know how long it's been that long he's been on Android App Addicts. Um, roughly about eight weeks ago, he was diagnosed with a form of liver cancer that was very uh, vicious and quick. And about uh, five days ago, he passed away. Uh, there is a GoFundMe uh, going on uh, right now to try to help um, support him. Uh, I'm going to do a 24-hour podcast this weekend, uh, April 13th, starting at noon on Saturday through the 14th, Sunday noon. At least that's the uh, goal. Uh, and if you want to be involved in any shape, where form, all you got to do is shoot me an email during that broadcast and I will send you back a Hangouts link for right now. At least the goal is to do it over Google Hangouts just for simplicity's sake. I don't expect everyone, anyone to have good audio. It's really nothing more than just a hangout, talk with people, uh, talk about things that are cool and see if we can get, uh, Eric's family a little bit more, uh, money to help with this transition in life after Eric Ardini. Uh, if anyone has uh, stories or uh, anything that they would like to say about Eric, that would be, I think, a really good time to do it. Um, I will say uh, I don't know who's going to be on with me. It's going to be a wild card kind of thing. Uh, it can be random listeners or it can be uh, other hosts from the Podnuts Network. I didn't give anybody a lot of notice because I honestly wasn't sure if I could talk about Eric without breaking down. Uh, the last couple of days have not been good. Uh, starting yesterday, I started to be able to talk about him and, and maintain. So I think this weekend I should be good to do it. Uh, if you want to partake, do not forget, shoot me an email, any email, um, mail at podnuts.com, door to door geek at gmail.com, podcast at Linux for the rest of us.com. You can hit me off on Twitter with a DM or a mention. You can join our Mattermost server and mention me there. Uh, our Discord server mentioned me there, and I will also try to be on IRC, or you could look at the YouTube video and merely comment into that. Um, we might try to do a little cross audio with Discord, but I'm not going to promise that as of just yet. Uh, I know crossing streams with audio sometimes can lead to feedback and distortion. Um, I also have a page right now set up. Right now, it's just a redirect podnuts.com slash support Eric. Uh, by the time that show goes on, I'm going to try to have at least something on that page, uh, for people if they want to join to easily communicate with me and easily hop on the feed. Um, I, I've, I've literally always said since the beginning of this show and since my first time on any podcast, uh, support those who support you. And I will say Eric did everything to support us. Uh, he went over above and beyond to help me out whenever I asked for it to be on a show even if he didn't think he was interested on it just because it was an opportunity to sit down and talk with people. 
So uh, I would like to try to do at least my part to try to help him. I've already donated money. I'm going to try to donate more money. Uh, but in the meantime, at least I can try to drum up uh, uh, people to hopefully go and um, help with uh, their support. Okay. Um, okay. Uh, also, do not forget um, September 20th through 22nd, Grand Rapids, Michigan TechCon Unplugged. Uh, it's a conference it's event being uh, put on by Jeff Hallish from the Computer Repair Podcast and Paco LeBron from uh, Tech Life um, Podnuts Daily uh, in conjunction with Marvin B. from Podnuts Pro and with help from uh, Matt from the Computer Business Marketing Podcast, which I think it's right now in the middle of changing names. Um, uh, guys like Matt Rainey is going to be there. Martin O'Banion is going to try to be there. Mike Tech is going to be there. If you don't know Mike Tech, then I don't know you need to go watch some Mike tech. Uh, there are a few guys out there with as much experience as much gristle with, uh, doing computer repair as him. And if you're at all considering getting into computer repair, computer support, uh, entrepreneurship of your own, I definitely encourage you to try to be at that event. If you just want to learn more about computers and how to take care of them, that will also be a good event to make good connections with a lot of smart people. Uh, uh another guy who's going to be there is John do John do Binsky from the, maven group um there are a few people i've met who freely will push information on you if he thinks it will help you in any shape or form than john john's going to be there john is a hell of a good guy um so i'm going to make it there we're going to have fun uh we're going to uh chat bs have fun laugh at people uh in um including in with the price of the ticket which i believe is two hundred dollars uh you will get basically all your food and snacks taken care of and you will also get a um gift card to go to Dave and Busters, which is basically directly a, um, a, um, a, um, across the street from the event, the hotel and, and the event are in the exact same building. So you do not have to go far. So it's all going to be right there. Hyper local, if you will. And we'll be able to have a, a good time. Uh, that'll be another occasion where if you have good stories about Eric, I think it'll be a very good place if you want to share them. Um, it's not easy to transition out of something like that, but I will say, um, no matter what I do for the rest of my like live long podcasting days, I can tell you this. Um, every time I sit down and podcast, I'm going to be thinking about Eric. I'm going to be thinking about all the people that, uh, have helped me throughout the years, whether it's Steve Chur, um, Steve Chur, um, Churbino, Tim, uh, Tim Kelly, whether it be, um, Jose, Ellis Owens, Jeff Owens, Josh Knucklehead Tech, Jonathan Nadeau, Cody Cooper, on and on and on all the guys that have uh honestly helped make podnuts what it is um but in the world of linux it is a never sitting still um rambling is going on is the only way i can put it uh a lot of stuff has been going on with the enterprise space the server space uh the server closet kind of thing and to be honest i find most of that to be not very entertaining or not very like controversial to talk about which is why i'm really happy that Linus Torvald exists because he doesn't care about any of that stuff. Uh, he just wants to talk about stuff that he deems uh, potentially important. And uh, there's a link over on ZDNet, uh, which is in literally like covered head to toe with ads. I'm running this in Firefox and I'm pretty sure I'm going to change this uh, image that I show on the webpage to a different browser, like uh, maybe Brave or something else, just because this is getting really bad. But um, there's a uh, interview uh, basically mentioned in this article from uh, Stephen Javon Nichols, 
uh, where he, uh, a guy sits down and talks with Linus about the state of the Linux desktop. They first kid around and joke a little bit because you have to, because everybody makes fun of the idea of the uh, Linux desktop. But um, he says basically that it is in trouble. And I have to agree with him. It absolutely is in trouble. Um, what he mentions is that uh, it really needs to worry about um, Android and Chrome. Um, the big, like, for instance, I'll give you is that the uh, Chrome desktop, uh, the Chrome development team announced last week that they realize that you need to have stuff like video editing on um, the Linux desk or on the Chrome desktop or else it's kind of pointless. Um, this was from. T-F-I-R. I have no idea what this channel is, but the guy sitting down giving the interview with Linus Torvald is a guy who I've seen his face thousands of times around the world of Linux. He uh, apparently, uh, I believe, started his own website up. And he's a really smart guy. He talks a lot about Linux. He sits down and Linus basically says, Android and Chrome are in position to become the Linux desktop that people look at and experience. And I have to agree with him. Um, and uh, I will say I've had in the past uh, to what I think is to be one of the best non-Windows, non-Microsoft experiences um, with a device, and that was my um, Jide Ultra Remix tablet. Uh, it was basically a tablet computer flipped up with a good keyboard on it. It was basically a hardware emulation of the Microsoft Surface 2, uh, but it was running Android. It was running the Remix OS desktop, and it was unbelievably good. No, it was not a full-featured desktop, but 99.99% of the users out there do not need a full-featured desktop. They just need something that works. Um, you could browse the internet, you could browse Facebook, you could browse YouTube, you could do simple emails, you could do simple little apps, you could do um, all of the um, WeChat or any other Telegram or Signal kind of thing you wanted to do. Uh, because it was also Android, it basically meant you had the complete Android Play Store available to you. So uh, there wasn't too much you could not do on that device, uh, but you could not run full-blown Linux on it. That was one of the shortcomings. Uh, Chromebooks now, you can run Android apps on a select uh, breed of Chromebooks. And to be honest, uh, the Android experience on them is not bad. It's not like a phone because most apps are not built for phone um, um, for tablets size interfaces so it might not be completely normal uh android apps are typically also not made for a mouse so it might not completely fit but i can tell you on my uh asus chromebook flip i believe it's the first generation one i am genuinely shocked how functional that device is as well now technically it's running the the linux kernel in the background and now you can, you've been able to run Crouton and Crustini for years, for literally, I think, three or four years. It's not like running native Linux. It's running Linux in, in, in essentially in a VM, in a jail, in a cherooted environment. It doesn't have full native hardware access. So there's certain things you just could not do in them. Well, now that it's officially supported by Linux, they're putting a little bit more um, uh, work into it and like they're implementing the full audio stack in it. So you will be able to do a good deal more on it is what I'm going to say. Uh, you're also going to be able to put uh, direct links in your Chrome launcher, uh, basically like deep link into a Linux application installed in that, uh, basically in a VM. Um, and with those two things progressing and moving forward, 
that is what looks like is going to be the acceptable Linux desktop here for the next two years, unless something drastically changes. One of the things that Linus complains about is basically the fragmentation. And I really don't like that word fragmentation, but he complains about the fragmentation in the Linux desktop. And I will say um, what I don't like about the Linux desktop is how no Linux desktop has a smooth introduction experience. Doesn't matter if you load OpenBox, Fluxbox, i3, Rat Poison, Gnome, KDE, Plasma, Mate, Cinnamon, any of them, Bungie, any of them. The very first time that you launch it, it does not give you an introduction as a new user on how to use this desktop, how to maximize your usage in it. What are some good workflow examples in it? Now, if you take the time to sit down and learn any of these desktops, they're all really useful and functional and you can get virtually everything done in them. Um, but they are very different. Uh, it would be nice if we would have our nerd desktops in the background that we could load and we could run if we wanted to, but it would be nice if there was a standard desktop, which will never happen in Linux, but it would be a really nice thing if we could download OpenSUSE, Fedora, Red Hat, Ubuntu, Debian, Slackware, any of them, and just load it up. And by default, we would have a very similar desktop across them that would make it a little bit easier for people to switch or to go into different desktops. Also, it would be easier if you, if you were helping somebody running their very first instance of Linux, you wouldn't have to precede their question and then go back with like 10 different questions. What is the what is the distro that you're running? What is the version that you're running? What is the desktop that you're running? And you know, all these questions before you can actually help them. That's one of the reasons why terminal commands seem to be the easiest way to help people. Because as long as you know the distribution, then the terminal commands should work. Most new users do not want to type things in the terminal, so it's a little bit cumbersome to help them because they don't really feel like it's a natural progression. So I understand Linus saying a standardized desktop. And that's what you get when you run Android on a laptop, on a tablet, or on a phone. You get a standardized desktop, even if, even if you get a Samsung or an HTC or a Xiaomi or a Huawei or an Oppo or a OnePlus One or a Motorola or any of them, and you boot it up for the first time, you're going to be able to get around that interface because it's very much like every other Android interface. Chrome OS. Once you've ran basically any Chrome OS, you can basically navigate your way around any other Chrome OS. So the, it's ubiquity. It's very easy to go back and forth. In the world of Linux, we don't have that. Um, he believes if we had that, we could be much more successful. Um, I have to agree. If we had some ubiquity uh, along the desktops, I think it would be much easier. I always said, I didn't always say, I said for like the last two or three years, I don't understand since now installation media is so huge why don't we have the choice during the installation to pick a desktop why can't i just download a ubuntu cd start to install it and during the install process they can ask me and give me a little preview would you like a kde desktop would you like a gnome desktop would you like a mate desktop would you like a cinnamon desktop would, and just let me have the options so that's when I tell somebody to download the Ubuntu, I only have to give them one link and then I can tell them, 
you know, this is the desktop I use. You can install that one if you want. But there's no desktop that does it. They all have their favorites. They all have their favorite child, and they all like to act like the other children don't exist. Um, I do think it's going to be a hindrance. I do think it's going to slow down Linux a um a um a um adoption, no matter how how you look at it. And a super quick tangent divulgence. I basically had to unsubscribe from every Linux podcast in the universe, except for Going Linux, DistroWatch, and maybe one or two more. Uh, it's because I really could not stand listening to people speak on things, consistently state them as facts, yet consistently be completely wrong or apparently do zero research before they talk about stuff. Um, I try to only state a fact as a fact when I am absolutely 100% sure at that moment in time it is a fact. And if it is not a fact, I try to make it clear to everyone it is a opinion. Um, the example I'm going to use is, uh, what was it? Oh man, I'm trying to remember. I'll, I'll, I'll try. This is one of the problems with doing the show by myself. When I get an idea in my head, then I try to set it up and then I forget about it. Mm. I'll just say, um, if you the stupidest people I've ever met in my life proclaim that they're intelligent. The smartest people I've met in my life proclaim that they're normal intelligence. Uh, if you need to know what that means, what that entails, how that becomes, just do a quick Google search on in on Dunning Kruger effect and in an imposter syndrome. A lot of the Linux podcasts I listen to definitely suffer from the Dunning Kruger effect. Uh, they they like know five percent, so then they but they think they know the entire world. Uh, then you listen to like going Linux where they're like average intelligence in Linux, and they know it. So when people ask them a question that they don't know, they do the research and then they come back and answer. So everybody's smarter. So um, you know, I've now like cut down my podcast. I'm down to like 150. So, you know, um, I will say, uh, I still think Linux is going to be fine. I honestly think, uh, we Linux users are still going to be in the niche, uh, unless we get actual, some sort of desktop su um, supremacy. I also think we do not have to worry about viruses or infections or any of that stuff for at least the time being. Um, I do have an email I want to get to. The main reason being, if I get to the email, then I'm going to be forced to do the proper research on the email and properly answer him in the email back. It's, it's been in my inbox for at least a month. It's been difficult to research is what I'm going to say. So if anybody out there has an answer to this kind of thing, don't hesitate. Podcast at LinuxForTheRestOfUs.com. It says, hi, I've been listening to you for you a long time, and I thought of you to ask a, a um question that I've that I haven't been able to answer via Google what Linux desktop music player can I use that will write my playlist changes to an m3u file kept in a main music folder I don't want to always have to export playlists uh, just always use the m3u file all the time uh, use case I think all my music uh, be um between my phone and various computers, I use new um, Neutron Player, which can save uh, M3U changes using the path format, music artist album track.mp3. And I can't believe while an Android app can just keep a playlist file up to date, I can't find a Linux player that will do the same. 
Have you ever come across a Linux app that can do this? Now, I want to check my email really quick by just going over here, MU3M3U. That's one of the reasons why you can't find it. Um, I will say, I think, I don't want to say I think he was looking at this wrong because that's unbelievably insulting. But I, what, what, what I want to say is the last thing you want to do is limit yourself to, um, um, to only one thing. Okay, I did find a tutorial. And it was using VLC to create your playlist in an XSFPF uh, format. And basically all it said was the playlist is this directory. And that's what it sounds like you're looking for. So what I'm going to have to do is I'm going to see if I can find new, um, new Neutron music player. And if it supports XSPF extensions, because that's the uh, way you can basically say in, in, in this playlist contains everything in these files and folders. And that sounds like what uh, Android is doing. And I will say Android music players are virtually all based upon uh, uh, Linux free open source applications, but they have a very high level of polish on every one of them that I've seen. Um, without any doubt, I'll say I think that is absolutely the case. So anything that an Android music player can do, a Linux music player can do too. Unfortunately, I'll say you might have to change music players. Um, and to go from uh, Linus complaining about too many desktop choices, I thought this was an appropriate link because uh, I like tiling windows, window managers. And over here in, on TechMit, they have the 10 best tiling window managers for Linux. Um it's a little difficult sometimes to explain to someone who does not know what a tiling window manager is and how it acts and reacts. Uh, in a lot of ways, it, it, it like acts and reacts like an archaic win, uh, computer back from the late 80s. Um, what happens is you load an application and most of the time that application will literally take up the entire desktop. And to get the application to not take up the entire desktop takes work. Or if you want to split the windows, you can have them side by side or top bottom or some arrangement like that. But it isn't something that you might naturally know. Um, but I like tiling window managers because I can do everything I can, I need to do on the keyboard itself. And by everything, not really everything, but virtually everything from moving windows, changing windows, re, um, re, um, re, um, sizing windows, partitioning windows, and sometimes joining windows, changing desktops, everything from my keyboard itself. Uh, I only have to go to my mouse at a very uh, little bit of time. I will say, if you choose to try any of these tiling window managers, the number one thing I will encourage you that you have to do is you have to download a cheat sheet or make your default uh, page in your web browser one of their cheat um, cheat like uh, sheets that like um, show you all the um, key um, key strokes to get things done or else you're going to be like um, in a really hard place because you're, you're just going to want to quit. It's like the first time you use uh, VI and you don't know what you're doing, it might take you 20 minutes to exit VI. Uh, same thing with these tiling window managers. If you don't know the proper keystrokes, 
you're going to be in a world of hurt. If you like your trackball mouse or you have your mouse and you love to use your mouse to work in your desktop, you probably don't want to use a tiling window manager. Um, I will say that they list 10 of them. Number one, I3. Basically, you can stop right there. I got no problem saying that out, out loud. I3 is really configurable using mostly human-readable text in their configuration file. Their configuration file is easily shareable, easily backupable, and easily di uh, 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 easily put onto a brand new computer, and everything basically looks the same from computer to, to computer. Um, going down the list, uh, BSPWM, I have heard of that one. I've never ran it. I will say I do like the uh, look of it, the feel of it. Uh, I3 is definitely very flat, not a lot of uh, curved edges, not a lot of colors. Uh, this one, I'm not even going to try to pronounce Herbs, Herb Stalufin WM. I have no idea, but it, I definitely like the look on this one. This one definitely looks more advanced than your normal uh, tiling window manager. Awesome. Awesome window manager is fantastic, but it is so impossible to search for on Google because it's called awesome. And that's a little bit bad. Um, the main reason I stopped using awesome is because I believed it was stopped. Um, I believe it was deprecated. I thought it wasn't getting any single updates for like three years and it didn't get any updates all of a sudden, like two months ago, got an update. Uh, but I still believe it's not going to be compatible with Wayland enabled desk desktops, AKA on uh, the next year or two, you might not be able to load awesome on whatever di distro that you choose to download where I three is Wayland compatible. So that's why I went to I three. Um, Tilix, T-I-L-I-X. I, I did actually run this one for a while. This one, I want to say, was one of the ones where you definitely had to use right-click a fair amount to get things done. And to me, that was counterproductive. I don't like using right-click. Uh, Xmonad, to me, was the same thing. Uh, you definitely need a little bit of uh, uh, clicking involved. Sway. This is the one that I have not had a chance to try out yet. This one was a Wyland-compatible i3 window manager. So this one definitely caught my eye. Um, so I'm going to definitely have to try this one out, at least in a VM, see if it's any good. Uh, T, um, T Mux isn't really a desktop. It's a terminal multiplexer. So we're going to stop reading the list right now. Uh, I'm not going to go any further because they already, they left desktops behind. Um, next link in the notes. Uh, we actually did bring a lot of these kinds of links, um, years ago. Um, we were at least uh, semi-fascinated with the idea of creating your own distribution. Um, and uh, on uh, Analytics India, it looks like, uh, they have a listing of five tools that will help you create your own Linux desktop. Uh, it is not, it does not look like any of these are as ro ro um, robust as the tools that we had back in the day. But back in the day, I will say, I think things were a little bit simpler. And you could make one tool that seemed to work on a multitude of distributions. And it seems like those days might be over. There's a little bit more complexity in each distro. So what we're seeing is a lot of tools heavily geared towards a single distribution. And then you can recreate that one distribution. But the very first one I've never heard of, uh, Linux re, re, um, re spin. And it says it's a fork of the discontinued remaster sys. Remaster Sys to me was the most fully developed, fully functional, full featured 
one of these tools I've ever, ever seen in my life. So the fact that it's a fork of that tool makes me feel a hell of a lot better about giving this one a try. Um, it was very easy to set up default profiles. It was very easy to set up default applications. It was very easy to set up default configurations in those applications as well. Uh, so if there is one I'm going to suggest anyone takes a look at, it is Linux re-spin. Uh, if it's anything like re, uh, like, uh, re-master sys, what you can also do is hypothetically, you like to use Ubuntu, uh, mate, hypothetically. You download Ubuntu mate, then you might spend between three and 35 hours tweaking things, downloading applications, setting configurations, getting everything what you consider to be just right. What you can then do is run this tool and basically it will make a installable image of everything you currently have installed and configured. So if you want that same type of desktop with the same applications, with the same feel on a different computer, you can use this kind of tool to basically copy the operating system. Uh, so I thought that was definitely a very good one. Uh, that is definitely on my list to download and at least uh, play with for a couple minutes. Um, after this, it gets either obscenely difficult or extremely simplified or focused is what I'm going to say. Uh, after that, Linux from scratch. Yeah, that's kind of like tools that will help you create your own distro, but it, you're literally like the maintainer of your distro too. It's it, it, this, this is the tool you use when you don't want to create your own distro, but you want to understand the creation process of a distro. So it, yes, you can, but in reality, you use this because you want to learn what it takes to create a distribution. Uh, after that, you have uh, uh, um, PingEye Builder, which is really heavily geared towards PingEye OS, which is fine, which is fair. Uh, there are many people out there that really like PingEye, and I will not say they're wrong. It was a pretty smooth desktop, a pretty smooth experience. Uh, definitely more mouse-focused than I'm accustomed to, but I will say, uh, in a pinch, uh, I would definitely use that distribution. Um, after that, you have UCKU, um Ubuntu customization kit. Uh, I did use this at least one or two times in the past, and I was pretty satisfied with it, is what I'm going to say. Uh, it was definitely only Ubuntu focused, but if you are a Ubuntu user and you like to create your own distribution or your own spin for your own personal use kind of thing, very acceptable, very usable, very easy to use. Uh, then we have SUSE Studio, S U S E Studio. Uh, if you like OpenSUSE RPM-based distributions at all, I can tell you right now, uh, SUSE Studio will take any amount of work you put into creating a distribution and it will make it so simple the next time you want to install. Um, I'm not a huge fan of RPM distributions, period. Pause. Deep breath. But OpenSUSE and uh, uh, SUSE in general is among, in my opinion, the most solid desktop RPM experience you can get consistently version after version after version. Um, is it the best? I don't know. I mean, the people who love Fedora seem to love it a lot. I'll just say I had an easier time, uh, a easier on-ramp when I was using SUS. Uh, so I thought that was a really good tool. Very good five tools. Um, the next thing I'm bringing up specifically because Nightwise, if you don't know who Nightwise is, uh, nightwise.com cross-platform guy. Um, he mentioned he tried to do X forwarding. Uh, X forwarding on the Linux desktop is basically, it's kind of like RDPing, except it isn't. 
You can have your low-powered computer sitting in front of you, your high-powered computer off on the other side of your network, and you can do what's called X-Forward to where you can launch, hypothetically, Firefox on your low-end computer, but it's actually using all the resources of your high-end computer and just sending you the display over the network, and it appears to you, like on your computer, like you're running it locally, and it should be quicker, but it's actually using the other computer. Well, with all that said, it still isn't extremely fast. You are still going to have lag, even if you're on a really, really good network. So it has its use cases. If you're just typing out an email or working on a um, working on a uh, spreadsheet, copying files, moving files, it works great. It works really good, in fact. I've used it even on small pocket-sized computers uh, like my um, um, pocket chip like my Z2 Zip-It and other form factors, I've exported into bigger computers and ran stuff and it ran fine. But this one says, this tool here says it's explicitly designed for stuff like video editing and CAD working. Okay, if you think you're going to work on CAD remotely, you better have low latency. You better have really low latency. So I was very happy to see that AnyDesk, A-N-Y-D-E-S-K, is completely cross-platform, will work on Linux, and for a non-commercial license, it's absolutely free. So I'm going to definitely shoot this link to Nightwise, see if he can give it a try, see if he feels better with this. Uh, what I was not able to tell yet is, is it a direct peer-to-peer -peer connection, a.k.a. a trust-nobody connection? Or is this the kind of software where it insists on contacting the mothership and makes the connections through the mothership? There are pros and cons to each one of them, okay? If you go through the mothership, the pro is you never have to configure anything on your router. You'll be able to always connect from anywhere to anywhere with no issues. The bad, you're then relying on big, like brother, to have your best interest at heart and to always remain in business and to always have that portal up and running and that server up and running or else the software won't work at all. If it's a peer-to-peer -peer connection, that company can go destroy in a fire. Your software will still work just fine. But if you want to connect across a um, um, network, like from your uh, local Starbucks back to your home network, then you're going to have to open up firewall rules and ports in order to get stuff to connect so there is no perfect there is no perfect at all we have to make our decisions which one we like better and i'm not sure which solution this uses but it swears it's great for low latency things like cad video editing it also has online ca uh, collaboration so you have multiple people in the same workspace which is kind of mind-boggling uh built-in file um file um file transfer lightweight has to be lightweight or else it isn't snappy and you can re um re um record sessions i will say i'm a big fan of the idea of recording video sessions just to make it easier for the next person uh trying to do whatever you're trying to do um next link honestly i don't feel good about it's one of those things i have very mixed feelings about um i'm always happy when i hear private conglomerate companies acknowledging linux exist it means that we've made it to at least some point of acceptance, some point of popularity, some port of necessity. So then they have to start to acknowledge that Linux exists. But 
once they acknowledge Linux exists, then I'm sure they're just looking at how they can use it for their best interest. How they, how can they use it for their own shareholders' best interest kind of thing. So I don't really want them on my Linux computer. You know, peanut butter and chocolate goes great together. But, you know, peanut butter and grape juice, I don't think it goes great together. You know, I'm just going to take go on a limb. You know, I don't think it would. Um, and here's the link. Uh, Microsoft's Visual Studio Code arrives on Linux as a Ubuntu snap. Um, whether it's a snap or a flat pack or an app image, it doesn't matter. All you got to know is it's now easier to install. Now with a Ubuntu snap just means on Ubuntu based systems, it will be easier to install. Um, and here's the real reason I have mixed feelings about this. Every developer that I trust who I know has experience in multiple IDEs, you know, they've been doing this for more than three or five years. They really know what they're talking about and they have experience in whether it is, uh, Geary, Eclipse, uh, uh, there's a whole bunch of them. I can't think of, uh, A-T-O-N-A. There's a whole lot of them. They all say without any hesitation that the best IDE they've used is Visual Studio by far. It is the easiest to use, the most functional, the least amount of crashes. Uh, so if you're a developer and you only use Linux, now you can use Visual Studio Code on Ubuntu-based systems in a very easy fashion. It's basically just an app install away. Um, I'm never going to use it. I'm going, I would rather have a harder time using my Linux desktop than rely on Microsoft code for any workflow. Be only because I know as soon as I install it and start to use it and start to like it, the clock is ticking. It's either going to be deprecated. It's either going to have functionalities behind a wall where I'm going to install windows, or it's just going to go away and they're going to decide to not support it anymore. Um, and that's just me. That's a decision that I make. Um, Okay, uh, next one is on a Pharonix website. And I will say it was kind of almost ironic that when I loaded all my tabs up for this show, this tab took forever to load. Uh, coincidence? I don't know. I guess it is. Um, but uh, Pharonix has a uh, the fastest Linux distributions for web browsing, Firefox plus Chrome benchmarks on eight distributions. Now, here's the real truth, which I hate saying out loud. It almost doesn't matter how quick, how snappy, or how optimized 99.999% of all the applications are on any given distribution because everybody in the world uses a web browser. Not everybody uses a music player. Not everyone uses an IDE. Not everyone even uses terminal-based tools. Not everyone uses OBS. Not everyone uses Geary or Gedit or Nano or any other thing. But everybody basically uses a browser. And with every day that goes on that passes, we use browsers for more and more and more functionality. So it's becoming an operating system onto itself is what I'm going to say. So I thought it was very interesting to just measure benchmark speeds for browsers. Now, they only benchmark two browsers. The dirty secret is there's really only two browsers, whether it's Brave, Vivaldi, or any of the other graphical browsers in uh, with an asterisk. They're really based off of either Chrome or Chromium or Firefox. Now there are uh, there are Linux only ones that are not 
based off of either of these two, but the user base for them, I'm sure, is insanely low. And then, of course, you have your text-based browsers in the terminal that are, again, the use cases and the number of users are extremely low. Um, but they went through and they benchmarked uh, Chrome and Firefox in a bunch of districts. And I will say, uh, not shocked, uh, when I went to the uh, benchmarks, I was really impressed that um, uh, Clear OS, not surprisingly, was basically the best all around, is what I'm going to say. Um, Clear OS is an Intel-focused distribution that I can't believe I haven't used yet. I don't know why I haven't used yet. Uh, guys like Ike Doherty are helping make it better. When Ike works on something, it's inevitable. It's going to get better quicker than most other things. It just seems like that's like one of the rules of this universe that we live in. Um, with Intel uh, graphics cards, discrete graphic cards on the horizon, um, I'm going to expect that if I'm running a Intel discrete graphic cards, I'm probably going to go out of my way to run clear Linux because I would expect it to be even more snappy, even better performing. So I will encourage people out there, if you want to try another distribution and you want to use it as your main desktop browsing computer, uh, I definitely encourage you to check out Clear Linux. Uh, if you do, don't hesitate. Shoot me an email, podcast at Linux for the rest of us, and let me know your findings, how it feels, how it looks, how it moves, how it performs for you. Because these numbers, while they're not groundbreakingly destroying other distributions, uh, they're consistently at least a little bit better, is what I'm going to say. Uh, and that's, to me, kind of impressive that they can do that. Um, last link is on GitHub. Uh, and it's uh, from Kickball, and it's awesome-self-hosted. Uh, and this is just a list. This is the kind of thing I literally just bring to a show just so I have it bookmarked for myself forever now. Whenever I know, man, what was that self-hosted list? I can just go to Google, type in podcast, Linux, for the rest of us, space, self-hosted, and I'm going to get this link. This is basically a long link of self-hosted tools from analytics, automation, blogging, bookmarking, calendaring, email, mail delivery, webmail, IRC, SIP, XMPP, social networks and forums. Google Plus is dead. <clears throat> social networks and forums. The next one might be in there that we might want to use. I don't know. Uh, self-hosted DNS, conference management, content management, e, um, e-commerce, feed readers, ebook libraries, file sharing, distributed, peer-to-peer, -peer, object storage, single click and drag, web-based file managers, games, gateways, groupware, human resources management, learning courses. It keeps going on and on and on and on and on. I love the idea of self-hosted applications because then not only am I accountable for their security, but I also know what they're doing, when they're doing, why they're doing, and I can limit their resources. I will say I would love to be able to play with these on Raspberry Pi devices. There's no, there's a doubt in mind. Only a small fraction of these are installable on the Raspberry Pi. But uh, this to me was a great list. Um, I really hope it just keeps getting updated is what I'm going to say. Uh, let me see if I can quickly see an update date uh, 11 days ago. So that's good. That's good. 11 days ago it was updated. Um, so yeah, r r really good stuff. Really good tools. Uh, if you want to know like uh, what are the possibilities that you can run on your own closed network without other people 
uh, you know, sticking their hands in on your stuff. This, I think, is a really good uh, selection of tools. I definitely encourage people to check it out. Um, as always, I want to thank everyone for their support. I want to thank everyone for downloading. Do not forget April 13th through April 14th, uh, 24-hour stream, podnuts.com slash support Eric. Uh, if you want to come out, hang around, uh, don't hesitate. Uh, the only uh, rules that apply are the, are the rules that always apply with Podnuts. We can talk about anything as long as it's family-friendly. Uh, we don't talk about politics. We don't talk about religion. We don't talk about any of those kinds of things because all it makes is for arguments and for enemies. Uh, and I'll just say, I really don't like it when politics uh, go into my Linux distributions either. Um, um, I'll end with saying, I've known in my life people who are extremely sexist, extremely ageist, extremely racist, uh, and anti-Semitic. We've all known people like that. Um, the people I know who act like that 10 years later, 15 years later, 20 years later, typically always act the very same way. Sometimes they just do a better job of hiding it. Uh, right now, there's a major Linux distribution out there that I will not run. I will not support. I will not get behind. I will not take part in. I will not help propagate. It's because they spread hate. They're doing a really good job hiding it now. Uh, last I heard, they were making thousands of dollars a month, but none of their development team basically gets any money. He's just taking all the money. In. I don't know what he's doing with it, but I know he's not giving it back to the greater community uh, while taking advantage of this community. So just do a little research on who you're supporting. Do a little research on what you're downloading. Do a little research what you're installing. Uh, try to support people with ideas and ideals that meet yours. And nobody's perfect. Don't expect you're going to find somebody exactly like you, thinking exactly like you, but try to. Uh, and then trust me when I tell you, everyone will be happier from the ground up. Uh, and never, ever, ever forget, if you do not have root, you do not know who does. Thanks for coming out, everybody.